Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us today as we try to answer some more of your questions about the Bible or about your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. That's what we do on this program. There's a phone number and a website you can get in touch with us. We try to spend as much time as we can answering viewers' questions and really don't do much else during this half hour except try to keep up with all the good things that our viewers dream up for us to answer about. And uh, we'll take, uh, we get lots of questions directly about the Bible. Where's a verse? What's this verse mean? And we get a lot of questions about life and current events even. What's the Bible have to say about this? We're happy to discuss all of those. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, we'll tell you so. But uh, the Bible generally has a principle that applies to about everything in this life. So that's the way the program works here, helping me answer questions. Toby Levering, good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go and studied up. Uh, we always start with a question for our viewers, see if they know uh, some, some basics about the Bible. And there was a guy that was in the Bible, and he was <coughs> noted as a short man. Uh, that was his claim to fame, was he was a little guy. Uh, so we're going to give you the answer to his name at the end of the program. See if you know that. And uh, see if you know that little bit of Bible trivia. Looks like I drew the first question today. Mm -hmm. So let me start. Uh, and I get, get in a little trouble here. Viewer says, you sometimes give out false information. Uh, you said in Catholic churches the communion is given by the priest. But regular members also do so. Well, I think I'm guilty as charged. I remember answering that question. Uh, and let me make one clarification first. I, I agree that we probably sometimes give out false information, uh, but never intentionally. We, we don't do it on purpose. We don't try to uh, misrepresent anything. It's just uh, like this viewer said, poor preparation and I should have done a little more research probably. Uh, the second thing we can learn from this teachable moment uh, is that I was answering the question from my experience. I thought I knew the answer and I didn't do enough research. So I, everything I'd ever experienced, I haven't been to a lot of Catholic services, but uh, over my life I've been to a number of weddings and funerals and situations and where the Mass was celebrated and the priest always distributed things. So uh, I thought I knew what I was talking about, but I evidently don't, according to this viewer. So I did do check, check a little bit, check some Catholic websites, and I found there are regular members who are authorized to help serve communion. So this is directly from a, a Catholic website. Let me read it to you. Uh, they are called Extraordinary Ministers for the Distribution of Holy Communion. That's E-M-H-C's. And the source I found said they are properly formed, instructed, and commissioned laypersons. EMHCs may be male or female, and when the situation requires, the presider of the Mass may call upon members of the faithful who are not EMHCs 
to aid him in the distribution of Holy Communion on that one occasion. So uh, as I understand it, there are certain people who are trained to do that, to help serve Communion. And then if there happens to be an extra large crowd and the situation requires it, uh, the priest can call on regular members to help for that one time and get it taken care of. So I uh, appreciate the correction and thank our viewer for uh, teaching me that I ought to answer after a little research <laughs> instead of just from my own experience. So they're correct and that seems to be the way it is. All right, Toby, you, yep. you get one here. The next question is a person asks, if you believe in immersion, do you think every part of a person has to be underwater or just the head? Well, um, I haven't really ever been asked this question before, but I think this certainly uh, the meaning of the word uh, means to plunge, to dip, to be buried. The meaning of the original word that's in most Bibles is just baptism. The original word is baptizo, and all they did was just transliterate that. Uh, starting with King James Version, they just transliterated that into an English equivalent um, instead of saying, uh, you know, be immersed, to be buried, and so forth. But if you do any study of the uh, origin of words, uh, Greek word study, it's very clear that baptism simply means to be immersed. Um, and Webster uh, says that immersion means the act of putting someone or something completely in liquid or the state of being completely of a liquid. So uh, it, it's clear, yes, I would say that immersion means you got to put the whole person in and um, and uh, every part goes under. And the reason for that is that it's uh, uh, not just uh, the part of the process, but it's also symbolizing what happened when Jesus was buried. I mean, when he was when he was crucified, he was put into that tomb and he was buried. And when we are <coughs> when we're baptized, we're like this and we go down under the water. And that's symbolizing uh, uh, symbol symbolically showing what happened to Jesus, we're retelling the gospel story that he was alive, he was crucified, he was buried, and then three days later he arose. And it is sort of also telling the story what we believe when we put our faith in Christ, what happens to us is that we live, we die to ourselves, and we raise up in a new life, and we believe we have hope of the resurrection. So uh, everything from context to the original meaning, yes, baptism is full immersion. Um, and uh, that's what it's all about. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says we are buried with him through baptism into death. Every example we see of baptism in, in the book of Acts are several. Uh, and there's always lots of water and people going, one scripture says going down into the water. We're going to look at that together from Acts chapter 8 verses 36 through 39 which is on the screen. As they traveled along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, look here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and eunuch went down <coughs> into the water, and Philip baptized him. And so uh, just every example in Scripture we can see baptism is for immersion. Got to get out all of it under the water. All right. Uh, yeah, an interesting question. I don't think I've ever heard it exactly that way either. The, the head's the hardest part. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's last. So if you get it, you've probably got the rest of them. Uh, but I could see where somebody would worry about yeah. that. I think it would be a little legalistic to yeah. <clears throat> perhaps if somebody kept their pinky right. finger and didn't get it quite 
yeah. completely underwater to, to worry about that. Yeah. God couldn't handle that. But right. uh, uh, in general, immersion means immersion. Yep. So, so <laughs> put it under there. Yep. All right, question about circumcision. If the Old Testament men were saved by circumcision, uh, what saved the women? Well, it's a good question. The men were commanded to be circumcised. Uh, and this viewer says, well, if that saved them, then what saved the women? Well, the, the trick in the question is that, strictly speaking, it wasn't circumcision that saved people in the Old Testament. Uh, circumcision was a sign of a national covenant. Uh, God said, you're going to be my chosen people to Abraham. And as a sign of that covenant, uh, males have to be circumcised. And that means your nation is in covenant with me. Now, I'll admit that the Jews put so much emphasis on circumcision and they taught and they acted like it saved them uh, because they kind of got to that point where they thought, oh, we've been circumcised. We're God's chosen people. That's all we have to do. Uh, no, what really saved them was faith. And the same as us today. Genesis 15.6 explains that. Let's look at that. Uh, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. So that's what saved Abraham. That's what saved David. That's what saved Noah. That's what saved Steve. That's what saved Toby is believing God. And he credits it uh, to us as righteousness. So that's really what saved them. Uh, the circumcision was just a sign of a physical covenant between him and his chosen people. Now, you're correct that the women weren't circumcised. Uh, so, how did they get covenant rights and responsibilities and all that? It came through the male. Uh, their identity in the covenant, their identity as Israelites came through either their father uh, before they were married or after they were married. It came through their husband. <clears throat> and today's politically correct climate may not like that, but that's the way it was. Uh, the women uh, were considered part of Israel uh, because of the circumcision of their father or their husband. I looked a little bit just to see what the Jewish rabbis said about this and how they explained it. About uh, the only thing I could find that they said was about women, that they were naturally circumcised. And so they didn't need to be, but they got their identity in Israel through uh, the male and their family. So uh, circumcision wasn't what saved the Jews. It was a sign of a covenant. Let's see. Let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. We uh, like to answer questions for you each week, but we only get a few covered each week. There's a whole lot of Bible that we don't get to. And uh, that's why we advocate home Bible study and have some free Bible study materials that we're happy to send you. Uh, we get them to you in the mail. Uh, we think that's a good way for you to sit down with a lesson and uh, your Bible and take your time and read and uh, think about it a little bit and fill out the answers and then return it to us and we'll score it for you and send it back. Gives you a little accountability uh, to make sure you're uh, staying on track there. Uh, of course, we don't uh, uh, abuse anybody if you decide in the middle of it that it's not helping you and you don't uh, think you're getting much good out of it. We don't bother you in any way. Uh, but we think it's a good study, and most people go all the way through this and then on to more advanced courses. In fact, uh, they study these eight lessons that you see on the screen. Uh, we have a handsome certificate that we'll get to you to recognize your accomplishment. And then we'll 
ask you if you'd like to go on to a more advanced course, and if you do, we'll get one of those started for you. So, great way to study the Bible, keep you busy for a long time studying with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Phone number, website are on the screen. That's all you have to do is let us know you'd like that course. You'll get lesson number one very quickly, and uh, we hope you enjoy studying it. So, give us a call. All right, Toby, yeah. fearing God. The next uh, viewer asked the question, why should we fear God? And I think that's an excellent question. Uh, most often on the subject of fearing God, you'll hear religious leaders uh, or speakers or teachers say, well, it, we're not really talking about fear here. We're talking more about respect. And there is a, a respect aspect to fear. But I do think in the Bible, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is a genuine fear. It's a, it's a um, put it this way, every person that we read about who had an experience with, an interaction with a God or a holy person or an angel, uh, it, it was the, the first almost universal reaction is fear and trembling. Uh, angels would have to say, do not fear. Uh, you know, they, so there's something to it that when you meet something that it's a whole other level of your ability to understand, a whole other level of holiness, a whole other, whole other level of sanctification, you just understand and you just absolutely are overwhelmed by fear. Now, uh, you could take that too far, of course, and uh, not be, you know, fearful in the wrong sense where you're running away from God. But as an example, the prophet Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, I mean, his reaction as a prophet of God, mind you, he said, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. And he was just uh, overwhelmed by the presence <coughs> of God. And I really get the sense of overwhelmed by the fear of God. Now, scriptures tell us that uh, it is good fear, to fear the Lord. Now, I chose to, to direct you. There's lots of verses that talk about this. I'm going to stick with Proverbs, and I'm going to show you four verses, which I believe uh, explain this a little better. Proverbs 1, verse 7 uh, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the first reason is it's good to fear the Lord to be wise. Number two, to live right. Whoever fears the Lord, Proverbs 14, 2 said, walks uprightly, but those who despise Him are devious in their ways. If you fear the Lord, that it gives you a level of understanding about why you should live right. and It, it holds you to a true standard of, of righteous living. Number three, to avoid evil. Proverbs 16, 6 says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. You know, it helps us to walk in the light. And number four, to have a better life all the way around. 14, uh, Proverbs 14, 26 and 27 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a <coughs> refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. So yes, we should fear the Lord, but it's different than our understanding of fear. And uh, it's not something that we should run away from, but to... And as we fear Him, uh, it'll be a blessing in life. So I hope those verses will help on the why. Alrighty. Thank you, Toby. Uh, viewers checking out a rumor here. I think this is a good way to do it. Is call us and see if it's in the Bible. The viewer says, My friends say that family members are looking down on them from heaven. Is that in the Bible? Well, that's the kind of question we enjoy getting here on 
know your Bible. Somebody's heard something that mm -hmm. uh, they hadn't read the whole Bible or taken time to study all that out and quick answer uh, is no, that's not in the Bible. Uh, no specific mention of any interaction between heaven or heaven and earth and watching people and all of that. A couple of clues that uh, might lead us that direction. Uh, one Toby talked about last week, I believe, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, they were aware, the rich man was aware that his brothers were still on earth. Now, that's all it says is he knew they were still there. Maybe he knew that because they weren't there with him. They had to still be on earth. Uh, but he was aware of what was going on on earth. He wanted an angel to go back and give them a message and all that. So that's one little clue. And the only other one I know is Hebrews chapter 12 talks about we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 mentions all the great heroes of faith, Abraham and Noah and David and on and on. And then verse 12, chapter 12 says, since we're surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let's run the race right. Uh, so that kind of implies that people are watching from heaven. Other than that, the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, and you get to thinking through the mechanics and the process of it, and you start to have a few <laughs> doubts about well, how would this work? Uh, for instance, it may give me comfort to say that my sainted grandmother is watching me from heaven, uh, but what if I do something that would grieve her? Okay, they, then you got to wonder, well, is she sad in heaven? And you say, no, she couldn't be sad because there's no tears in heaven and all that. Uh, so the, the working it out, I'm not saying God can't work it out. He, he can handle it just fine. Uh, but exactly how it would work, I'm not sure. So my answer is no. The Bible doesn't say people that are dead are watching us on earth. It just doesn't tell us if they can see us or not. Uh, so that's all I can give you from the Bible. We don't know. It's kind of interesting in Scripture. We do get these <laughs> kind of pictures, and, and someone's presented that idea, or we've seen a picture of it. Uh, we, we kind of interpret a Scripture one way, and it, people just kind of build on it. Mm -hmm. And we look back mm -hmm. at the Bible, and it's like, well, the Bible doesn't ever exactly say that. So I love the spirit of the question, which is, yeah. tell me what the Bible says. Yeah, yeah. and I don't think there's anything. And it may be motivational to some people to yeah. think, Sure. You know, Grandma is watching. Uh, <laughs> I, I better mind my P's and Q's here, and that's probably good for us to think like that, that there is a cloud of witnesses there. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you and keep us on the air, and we like to thank some each week and, and let you know about them. Uh, today we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible. Uh, I mention it every once in a while, the Northside Church of Christ uh, here in Wichita, Kansas, where we broadcast from. And uh, we know most of our viewers are not in Wichita, Kansas, but if you ever come through for some reason, uh, on your way to a ski trip in Colorado or something, you might need to stop in Wichita. Uh, be sure to schedule a Sunday morning at uh, Northside. Be happy to meet you and visit with you. A uh, great group of people at Northside do a lot of good in the community. Uh, obviously sponsor this program and have helped keep us on the air for many years. I invite you to visit either Northside or uh, any Church of Christ near you. If you're looking for a church home, uh, you'd be warmly welcomed and you'd find some folks that uh, think and study with the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. So visit the Church of Christ sometime or maybe if you just know some uh, member of Northside or some other Church of Christ, uh, let them know that you watch the program. Tell them thank you for providing it for you. 
All right, Toby, a prayer question. Yep, a viewer asked a question I think we've all struggled with at some, some point or another if we're praying people. Uh, <coughs> why does it take so long for God to answer prayer? <laughs> well, um, my answer to that is that it doesn't always. Uh, sometimes God answers quickly and directly, and uh, we can see that and understand that. Sometimes it does take a while. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes by answer, people say, uh, believe that, uh, that they mean they want God to say yes. <laughs> Sometimes God does answer quickly, but it's a no. Uh, there are really, uh, the basic answer to the question is that God is outside of time and that His timeline is far different from ours. Of course, He being infinite, having no beginning and no end, the Lord uh, answers uh, prayer and works out His plan on His uh, time, if I can put it that way, he's outside of time. You and I have a, a, a finite number of years and and a finite number of uh, days and a finite number of hours in our days. And so we are always thinking about time and how that must happen. But God looks outside the perspective of your days and your months and even your life. Uh, he's going to work things out according to his plan in the perfect time. So uh, there are, of course, three simple, basic answers to prayer. You've probably heard this before, yes, no, or wait. And, uh, of course, any of those questions or the, any of those answers to your prayers can be done in God's time. So uh, if you're praying for something and it hasn't been answered, just uh, you know, understand that may be a wait. Uh, understand it may be a yes, if God answers yes, it's because it would be a blessing to you. If it's a no, it's because it won't be a blessing to you. And if it's a wait, it's because you're not ready yet for the blessing. But it will come. It will come. So, uh, Scripture, you know, you're not the only person to have this experience. Many places in Scripture, the, the psalmist will say, How long, O Lord? Or the prophet will say, How long, O Lord? And uh, the answer most commonly to that is, Be patient. The Lord is faithful. And uh, if you're doing what's right... Uh, he'll take care of you in his good time. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone <coughs> to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So let's keep a perspective of God's timeline and, more importantly, God's purposes. All right. Of course, a lot of that comes in, in our lack of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, we think we need it right now, yeah. or we, we think we know the best <laughs> answer, and God is just shaking his head. So right. I can't You're believe not. they want that. Mm -hmm. <coughs> <laughs> I've got something better for them a lot of times is the answer. That's right. As you were answering, I remembered my favorite illustration of this is one of my sons, when he got to car age, it was time for a car. Uh, he found one that he thought was just <laughs> perfect. I mean, it looked good and it had big tires on it and a truck and all that. And it was a piece of junk. I mean, it, was, <clears throat> it wasn't going to last very long, but it looked good. And so he wanted that so badly. And I told him, no, well, I, I would have won the Cruel Father of the Year award right then. But I had something much better in mind sure. for him. Absolutely. Uh, I knew I wanted a safe one and one that was, <laughs> didn't need a whole lot of mechanic work and, mm -hmm. and all that. So a few months later, we got around to, to that one, and then he was all happy. But uh, <laughs> uh, his lack of understanding and immaturity and, and all of that 
he thought I took way too long <laughs> to answer that request. So uh, I think that's the way God is with us. He, I agree. He knows yeah. we're foolish sometimes. Well, and so many times we can look back and we're, God has said no to something, and at time we were disappointed, but we look back and say, that. thank you for saying no. <laughs> yeah, glad, glad I missed that one. All right, real quickly, a viewer says, Daniel 13 and Revelation 7 are exactly the same. Are they talking about the same thing? Well, Daniel 13 and Revelation 7, if you lay them side by side, they're very similar. They sound a lot alike. They're not exactly the same, uh, but they do sound like they're talking about the same thing. So uh, you can read them side by side if you want to and prove that. Uh, they're not exactly the same, and they're talking closely about the same thing, but not exactly the same thing. Daniel is has four beasts in it, and they represent four different kingdoms is what uh, Daniel talks about. Uh, the uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome are the four kingdoms that his prophecy talks about. And then when you get to Revelation 7, it's really just talking about one kingdom, and it's Rome. Uh, it has the attributes of the other kingdoms, but that's because it followed them and came after them and all that. So it's two different prophecies about Daniel's is a little bigger picture. Uh, Revelation 7 is a little smaller picture, uh, but they do sound a lot alike, but not exactly the same and not about the same thing exactly. All right, genetic question here. Yeah, you asked, got a question about uh, were these scriptures the same? And this person wants to know are these two people the same or identical or whatever? Were Cain and Abel twins is the question. Uh, my answer to that is no. I know there are some people, depending on the translation, that, that uh, read into that and it seems to say that they were twins, or it does say, um, but it. It, it most uh, accurate modern translations, you can clearly see that they are two separate children and that they were very different for sure. Uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 together. Adam, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to, a brother, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Um, and my focus, of course, there is on later. And I think one verse says, in the course of time. Uh, and so it, 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 it's, Scripture's clear. If you look at the original words and so forth, you can do a lot of study. But for the most part, everyone's in agreement that those were, Cain and Abel were uh, two separate uh, siblings. <laughs> and as, as their story worked out, it's, not twins. Seems that they were definitely not twins. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So. Uh, let's take just a moment to answer our <coughs> trivia question. We started with the start of the show, and that was about the short man who was called a short man in the Bible. And if you read Luke 19, you'll find a guy named Zacchaeus, and uh, kind of a famous character. And the kids in Sunday school sing the song about Zacchaeus climbing up into the tree to to see Jesus. I don't know how short he was, but he was shorter than the average because when the parade went by, he, he was on the back <laughs> row and uh, decided he wanted to see Jesus. So the, song, climbed. the song tells us he was exactly, he was a wee little man. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a missionary in Scotland. We ought to ask him what wee, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how short is wee. 
Uh, but anyhow, he was a short guy, so, uh, and Jesus took him home for lunch, and you know the rest of the story. Luke 19, 3, great story about a guy that changed his life once he met Jesus. <laughs> all right, we're out of time today, but we're glad you've been with us for all these questions, and we're going to be back next week try to answer some more of them. So we invite you to come back then. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.